official. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is no longer the manager of Manchester United. Where does that leave us? And uh, we'll get into the question of what the real problem is at United as we go forward for the rest of this season. Fergie Files Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. It is the Fergie Files podcast, as always. Host Michael Folger here with you. Um, today we've got a pretty big topic, and it's the only topic, of course. It's it's Ole Gunnar Solskjaer uh, leaving his post as Manchester United manager after something like, I forget what it was exactly, 160-odd games, something like that. Um, and obviously following the horrendous display that Manchester United put out against Watford, away at Watford at the weekend on Saturday. Oh, man, that was a really, really poor result for us, for sure. As bad as the Liverpool match, truthfully. I think people who are watching that, um, you know, the optimists would say, well, the scoreline the score doesn't really reflect how we played or, you know, things like that. And maybe it should have been 2-1 and not 4-1 and we fell apart at the end. But the truth is that that was coming. That result was coming for the majority of the match. And it was evident from the first whistle, really, that Ole was going to be out of a job after that match if Manchester United got nothing from it. It was just clear. I mean, the team played with no motivation, no passion, no energy, zero interest in recovering possession, zero interest in even tracking back when they lost possession a lot of the time. And Ole said it himself in his uh, post-game uh, interview in one of the interviews that he did, I think with MUTV, where he basically just said, we didn't show up until the second half. And even then we only played well for the first 20 minutes of the second half, which is of course when the pressure came and when the goal came from Van de Beek. So, um, you know, he, I thought Donnie Van de Beek was the number, the number one bright spot for us throughout the match in the first half, which admittedly was abysmal. It was Nemanja Matic, who was at playing in a similar midfield role to what Van de Beek did um, in the second half, a little bit uh, deeper, though, of course, for Matic. And he, I thought, was the only player who was looking to drive forward. I saw him break the lines a couple of times and actually try to get something going moving forward. Um, but it was like, I don't know, it was like watching a kid's game. It was like watching a kid's game where the kids don't, you know, it's clear they don't really understand the tactics and they don't really understand what to do and they all are just kind of, content to wait for someone to give them the ball to feet and not really create anything. I think Matic was the only one who showed any sense of pride, and that comes with obviously experience, but also um, just the type of player he is, and he's never been one to um, stroll about. He's not the quickest guy, but he works hard, and that's never been a question. And I thought no one else really impressed me in the first half, and obviously De Gea is an exception because he's not an outfield player. I mean, him saving two penalties, you know, kept it from being 6-1, basically, instead of 4-1. And they were admittedly poor penalties. He still had to be saved. But, um, you know, they were not particularly challenging saves for De Gea, a a keeper of De Gea's caliber to make. So, you know, I think you look at the outfield players that were out there, and, you know, we've got Rashford and Ronaldo and Sancho and Bruno Fernandez and, you know, I just— I can't fathom how we couldn't really seem to work even a decent chance on goal in the first half at all. Like, I don't actually know what the stat was because truthfully I was not really interested in looking at the stats after that match. It just felt like a foregone conclusion from the first couple minutes. 
um, that we were going to lose. So, you know, I don't even know how many shots we ended up managing on target in the first half, but it was it was low. The number was certainly low, and it was lower than Watford's, which is really the most important thing to point out here. They played with energy. They played with uh, a point to prove. They played with a purpose. You could tell that the front line was in sync and knew what they were after. They showed us a team who prides themselves on counterattacking, which is ridiculous. And I hope, I hope, I hope desperately that whoever comes in next doesn't make us a counterattacking team. It's absurd that that's what we do. Um, but Watford showed us up in that regard even. They they picked up the ball and they found Dennis or they found Ismail Sar or they found Josh King even, and they just booked it. And the three of them just absolutely hauled ass up the field every time they got the ball. And they tried to go as fast as possible. They tried to run at our center backs if they could isolate them. They tried to run past our wing backs and just like, you know, I, I call them wing backs because Luke Shaw truthfully has kind of redefined his role in that way where he plays forward a lot. Um, but they ran past our, our outside backs just like trying to get in behind us on every in every instance where they had even a sliver of hope that there was a counterattack on. And that really is like, if you're going to play as a counterattacking team, that's what you should do. So it was fascinating to me to watch them beat us at our own game um, and highlighted to me exactly the problem with why that doesn't work for the players we have and the, and the squad we have. Just because you have pace doesn't mean that that's the approach you should try to take. Um, and you look at a player like Dennis, who I thought even last season when he was playing at Bruges, I saw him a couple times in the Champions League, and obviously everyone saw him score against Real Madrid and do the Ronaldo and whatever, and, you know, uh, the Ronaldo celebration that he did. And, you know, I thought he was a good player then, and I think I stand by that based on how he played against Manchester United, and he's just got loads of potential. His pace is lethal. His touch is good. He has an eye for goal. He is creative. Uh, he has a, he can pick out a pass, too. He had a really smooth pass across to... Ismail Assar on the counter and it was like a cross field ball basically that he kept on the turf and it went all the way across and it was just like perfect. Sar ended up trying to return the favor um, and and honestly I think he made the wrong choice but they just showed us what it looks like to be a counter attacking team. You know and then you've got Tom Cleverly who was everywhere um, and it seemed like and you've got Sissoko and you've got you know a team of players there who yes they're in 17th place but they sure didn't play like it. They played like that was their last game ever, you know? I mean, you could just see that there was blood in the water for them from the first minute. They, they smelled it, and they knew we were looking weak and um, didn't have much going forward, and they went for it. And honestly, I don't understand why with the talented players we have in our squad, we don't approach more matches that way um, where we just go for the throat from the first minute. And it usually pays off for us when we do. That's the funny thing. The rare times that we do that, instead of sitting in and trying to feel out the game, if we just go for it, it normally works out in our favor. So it was a shame to see Manchester United not go for it. And obviously now it's it's a 4-1 loss away from home. It's, I forget what, our seventh loss in our last nine matches or some ridiculous stat. Um, you know, it's a poor situation that we're in. And as much as Ole's tactics didn't work for the team that we had, and primarily what I didn't like is that he looked to utilize us on the counterattack way too frequently for my liking that alone does not change Manchester United and Rio Ferdinand um, I think it's on his podcast um, reiterated that or iterated I guess he he said at first um, that sentiment which is basically doesn't matter what he said paraphrasing here 
said, it doesn't matter how often you change the conductor if you don't do anything to change the orchestra. And that is absolutely how I've been feeling. And what a nice way to articulate that. No matter who is in charge of this group of players, if we're not able to walk out on the pitch as a unified group of 11 guys who are willing to um, absolutely put their bodies and minds on the line for 90 plus minutes to play for Manchester United and to play with pride and passion and to run until they have holes in their socks, I don't think that we're ever going to be competitive at the top of the Premier League until we can do that. I shouldn't say ever, but I think until we can put out a group of players who are talented and are willing to work as hard as they physically and mentally can for that amount of time, I don't think we're going to get to a point where we're competing for Premier Leagues or we're competing for Champions Leagues because, again, as Rio said, that's what the best teams do. And right now we're not one of the best teams. And that's what we need to do if we want to get back to those heights. So, you know, I've heard a lot of talk about who the manager is going to be and we'll get to some speculations and who I would prefer um, in just a moment. But I don't think that really matters as much as how we get the best out of these guys and how we even get these guys to play with passion. The one player in particular I took so much issue with in the Watford match and in other matches, but particularly against Watford is Jaden Sancho. Sancho finally gets himself another start in the Premier League. It can only be, I don't even know what, his second or third or something like that. I don't think it was his first start, but certainly hasn't had that many starts. And he did just absolutely nothing with it that I saw that was impressive. Yes, he got the kind of hockey assist pass before the pass, uh, pass before the pass on the goal, but I really didn't see anything coming out of him that I thought, wow. And particularly what I miss about Manchester United wingers and players in that position in the past is their level of energy and their level of commitment to going back. And that obviously is a lot down to Sir Alex Ferguson's uh, coaching style and management style, but it also goes down to his ability to force the players to believe in themselves that they are better than not tracking back and they have to track back and they have to show and prove to everyone that their passion is there and that they're willing to put in the work even when it doesn't give them an immediate reward. And Jaden Sancho is admittedly young and it's his first taste of playing Premier League football really. And, um, you know, he's had some experience at Dortmund, but this is a shadow of the player. And I heard some of the commentators um, here in the U.S. on NBC Sports saying, you know, he he's going to take some time to get up to game speed. And I, I think that's bullshit, 100%. I think when you have a player of his skill level, you have a player of his age, um, and you have a player who's played the big Champions League nights. He's played at a huge European club, which Dortmund is admittedly a huge European club. Um, you know, I don't think he needs any time to get up to speed. I don't care if you're playing at Old Trafford or you're playing in the park. When you have that talent and you're that quick and that good of a dribbler and you play for the England national team, there is no excuse that at this stage in his time at Manchester United, he's not up to speed. There's no excuse. And in particular, what I take in, uh, issue with is that he absolutely was unwilling to make a run if he didn't think he was in on goal. He, would, I mean, I watched him countless times drop the ball off to someone five yards away from him and then just walk. And it's like, yeah, I get that you're right next to the guy. That's understandable that you're not going to, you know, pick up the ball necessarily right away again. But he made no effort to take a defender away to create any space for anyone else. You know, and it's, he's not the only one. I mean, I saw Ronaldo do that. I saw I saw other players do that as well, for sure. 
Uh, I think Bruno Fernandez I saw a couple times do that. It's just so frustrating when you watch a match like that and see the talented players, especially the ones who came with a big price tag because they were so lauded as being this incredible talent, come in and not even show any interest in finding that level of form again. I mean, what Jaden Sancho was able to do was basically tear through any defense he played against in the Champions League and in the Bundesliga for several seasons in a row. Where is that player? I'd, I'd love to know. And where is the passion to be that player again? I saw zero passion from him, and that I take issue with. Because the reality is there's hundreds, if not thousands, of players behind him who would love to step into his spot and play for Manchester United as a winger and get the start and play in the big games. And I get Watford doesn't seem like a big game, but we are not going to win the Premier League this year, plain and simple. And it's due to the fact that we've had one too many or four too many performances like this already, um, you know, where we just don't have any semblance of interest in playing with passion um, and, and doing the little things and the simple things right. No tracking back, no going after the game when we lose possession, no forcing the other team to be uncomfortable, very little playing through the lines. The one time that we were able to get Sancho isolated and create some space on the wing, he did put in a good cross, and Ronaldo created that goal, truthfully. He got his head to it. It was a good cross, but I don't think Ronaldo would have scored. I think Ben Foster was well-positioned and could have kept it out if Ronaldo had steered his header on target. He wouldn't have had that much power. He was leaning out of it. His only option was to square it back for Van de Beek, who was open, and he did that very cleverly, and it was a good finish. Um, from Van de Beek to keep it down and put it in the back of the net. But that was like the only time I saw us really do anything that put Watford's back four or back three or whatever they played. I think it was a back four in any kind of uncomfortable position. So if we're not going to do that, if we're not going to, you know, bust our ass for the entire game and find a way to make other teams uncomfortable, especially given the, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of talent that we have in our side, I don't know what we're thinking we're going to do for the rest of the season. I guess we're okay with a mid-table finish then, and I guess we're just hoping that we'll be able to make it to the last 16 of the Champions League, and that's enough. Um, and for me as a fan, and I'm sure for you as fans, it's simply not enough, not for the Manchester United that we should be based on our players and our talent and based on the uh, level of excellence that we are accustomed to as a fan base. So for me, it's an extremely disappointing result, but it's more so disappointing that Ole is being punished for the results of um, you know, a group of players who seem unwilling to play for the badge um, and are more willing to just play when they think they can score. Um, you know, it was really frustrating to see. I think Ole's out of a job for a lot of other reasons. You know, I think tactically there's not a clear plan in place that works, and that's a problem. But really, I don't think that it's entirely his fault the way these matches have been going. Could we have been losing because of his tactics? Certainly. But could we have been losing this poorly? No, this is a lot down to the players as well. And it's more than a 50-50 uh, split. It's a probably 75-25 split for the players for 75% versus 25%. It was Ole's fault for the way he set the team up. There's absolutely nothing I can say bad about Ole the guy, and I think everyone has reiterated, reiterated that sentiment as well. Across football, he's a nice guy. He's a great human being, according to Ronaldo and according to so many others, and Above all, he's a guy who absolutely loves the club. You could see how emotional he was in leaving, and you could see the respect that the club and the ownership showed him and the board by allowing him to leave by mutual consent that it wasn't working. And I'm really glad to see that he was able to leave in a way that, although it's still him leaving, left him with some dignity, and he can look back at his time and say, 
I gave everything I could to this club. I'll still support them, and they still love me, and the fans certainly have shown that, even though it is probably the right decision. I mean, I agree with some fan accounts and some other people I've seen that we should have let him go during the international break. That would have been probably a better way to do it instead of letting him have one final embarrassment. I think things were bad enough as it was. So, um, you know, I would have liked to see us get a manager in place. Now we have to uh, go to Villarreal with Michael Carrick as the caretaker manager. At least I think it will be Michael Carrick. That's what it sounds like is going to happen, that he'll take charge based on what Oli said. So um, I'm going to stick with that and say that it'll be Michael Carrick. Maybe this will be a Ryan Giggs type situation where uh, you fans, you may remember when uh, Sir Alex, I think it was when Sir Alex left, or maybe it was after David Moyes left. Um, yeah, no, it was after David Moyes left where there was a couple games, I think four or five games where Ryan Giggs took charge as manager and even came and played in one of them. I think he subbed himself in, if I remember correctly. I don't think Michael Carrick will do that, but it may be a situation like that where having another ex-player who's not that far removed from his playing career and who clearly knows what it's like to be in a Manchester United team that plays with that passion. Maybe he can get the get the boys to do something different against Villarreal. As far as I recall, we are first in our Champions League group. We have a couple of matches left, and we really, really need something to spark our going forward for the rest of this season. I mean, it's clear that you know we're playing against teams who can beat us and who can play with us. right? We are first in our group, but we're level on points with Villarreal. If we want a very serious chance of going through as group winners or even going through at all, we absolutely need a win against Villarreal. A draw is a bad result. A draw pushes us to the final match day, um, you know, level on points and not looking like we're in the clear. And in the meantime, Atalanta's on five points. A victory against Atalanta, uh, or rather a victory for Atalanta against Young Boys, and a draw between us and Villarreal tomorrow. Uh, puts the three teams, United, Villarreal, and Atalanta, level on points with eight points. So I really think we cannot afford to have a three-way tie for the top three places going into the final match day, having to play again against Young Boys, a team who beat us in the first go-round. I don't think we can afford to do that. So, yeah, this is going to be a really, really critical match. Michael Carrick has the weight of the world on his shoulders now to take care of this team and help find a way to motivate the boys to get something done tomorrow against Villarreal. So, um, you know, this is a big deal. This is a potentially very dangerous situation that we could find ourselves in if we're not careful. So it's going to be really interesting. Um, okay, we're almost at 20 minutes here. I'm going to really quickly wrap up and talk about who I think could potentially come in, who I've heard about coming in as manager, and what I think about some of the candidates who are coming in. Um, you know, ultimately, I don't know I'm crazy about any of them. I think probably the best case scenario for manager is a tough one to even pick because so many of these guys that are out there have these have these big time resumes, but they just maybe don't have what I look for. And, you know, I don't even know who I would pick if I could just pick any manager and pluck them out of a job and pop them down with us. It's a really tough call. I mean, Pep, maybe. Because I really think structure and leadership is what we need. And Pep's the kind of guy who, obviously, that would never happen, that he would leave City for us in the middle of a season. But that's if I could handpick anyone, that's probably who I'd pick. I Having seen him work, I watch Bayern really closely. Um, having seen what he did at Bayern and paid attention there, and obviously, of course, before that with Barcelona and now with City and the kind of team he's turned them into, 
you know, perennial winners for sure, whether you like him or not or his style or not. Perennial winners is what he makes. They just he, – he works with teams that have talent, and he knows how to get the best out of that talent. Um, and we need a manager like that. I think Mauricio Pochettino, who has definitely been the most heavily linked with Manchester United, is a similar style of manager who gets a lot of talent out of young players and players with a lot of talent themselves. He's able to get the most out of them too. So maybe he would be the best fit. I do like him. I'm worried about the level of hype and the kind of savior nature of the media talking about him wanting to leave PSG. And you can just already see them painting that picture of he's going to come in and save the day and blah, blah, blah. Hopefully he does. But I hate when that kind of narrative is created too early for someone. And, you know, I'd rather see him get the job and come in and get to go to work and try and figure out this situation for himself and let the results speak for themselves. So that's what I'd prefer. Other managers that we've talked about, Luis Enrique, I think was one. Um, Eric Ten Hag from Ajax is one. You know, Ajax could be interesting. We obviously have a relationship with their, I think he's their technical director, but it's Edwin van der Sar. Um, he's high up at Ajax anyway. And, um, you know, certainly we have a relationship there. And I doubt they'd let him leave in the middle of the season as well, um, especially when you consider their position. Uh, you know, they're obviously playing in their league, but they're, of course, top of their group. You know, why would their manager leave when they're top of their Champions League group? They have not lost a match or drawn. They've scored 14 goals and they've only allowed two against. They're looking really solid, you know, in the Champions League. And I can't imagine why they would want to let their manager go. So um, and, you know, of course, as per usual, they're top of the league in the Eredivisie. Um, tied with PSV on points, it looks like, but. Uh, heavy favorites in the goal difference department. She's 42 goals for. They have allowed through 13 matches two goals to be scored against them. Let me just repeat that. Ajax have allowed two goals scored against them in 13 matches. Somehow they actually have a loss too. I don't know if it came in the, I'm not going to look if it came in the same match or not, but that's very impressive. So uh, that's pretty crazy. Um, you know, would their manager really come here? I you know, I have no idea. And from everything I've heard about and seen with, with Ten Hag, I think that's how you say his name anyway. Um, you know, would they come here? I have no idea. Or would he come here rather? It's it's kind of irrelevant, truthfully. I like the style, um, you know, that Ajax plays with in general. And he's been their manager for a little while now, I think. Uh, one season, two seasons, something like that. I'm not sure. Um, again, I'm not super interested in being that accurate right now, to be honest. I just know that if it's going to happen, it's got to be someone who's able to come in, set up a real clear tactic and lay down the law of the land and say, hey, you are playing by this style, period. There is no if, ands, or buts. There's no debate. There's no questions. You are going to play the way that we set up as a team to play. And if you don't, you're out. That's what we need as a club because we are never going to get the best out of our guys if we keep playing with this kind of haphazard, let's counterattack, let the flow of the game dictate how we play approach that we've been using for the last couple of years. We need someone who has a system and he needs to start plugging players into that system and teaching them how to play this person's system. That's, that's in my opinion, the thing that we have been missing the most since Alex Ferguson was our boss. Um, we really need a real clear system and we need a guy who's going to enforce it to the letter. So you know, I think still my pick would be Mauricio Pochettino. I like what he did at Spurs. I liked when I saw him. I've always liked him in interviews. I think he talks about the game well. His understanding seems to be really clear. 
Um, he's got pretty good experience and obviously Premier League experience. And frankly, I just think he's a likable guy that would relate to the players. And he's obviously a former player himself. And I think you could definitely see him getting the best out of the boys. I, I hope that we have someone come in who's able to do that. So, you know, I think my vote now would be Pochettino. If it happens, great. Whatever it is, I hope they don't drag this out. My, my desperate plea, I know that absolutely no one is listening to this, but my desperate plea to Manchester United would be, please, please pick a manager before the next Premier League match who's our permanent manager. Please make this happen quickly because the last thing that we need is the Jaden Sancho of manager searches where we have this drag out for two years and we never have someone steady come into place. And in the meanwhile, I heard Ed Woodward might stick around now for a little longer, quote unquote, to help sort out this new transition, which would just be the worst case scenario for us. So please bring someone in who knows how to do, how to set up a system and how to make people play for it and make it happen quickly. There are good managers out there and available whether it's Pochettino. Um, I even heard Laurent Blanc, who obviously is a former Manchester United player himself and has managerial experience since a long time. He's someone I've always liked as well. He could be really interesting. I don't know enough about him tactically and how he likes to set up his teams to really make a comment, but I've always liked him. And I've always thought he was a smart guy. He talks well about football and seems to have his head on straight. And it's always fun to have former players come back to the club. So it would be really cool, I think, to see that happen. He's not managing in one of the big leagues. I'm pretty sure he's managing somewhere in the Middle East or in Asia. I don't remember exactly. Um, but maybe he could uh, possibly make his way to Manchester United as well. So anyway, as always, time will tell um, what happens here. I, I would like to also say thank you to Oli. I think, like Rio Ferdinand said, he did mostly what he was asked to do. He didn't win any titles, but he brought this club back to a uh, back to a level it hadn't been at in a long time, finishing second in the league, competing in the Champions League again, getting us out of the uh, seemingly perpetual state of being in the Europa League. He's gotten us to a certain point. Now we need someone else to take us to that next level and start winning again. So um, I'm really looking forward to that, and I really hope that whoever the next manager is for the long term can actually come in and deliver on that, on that promise, that inevitable promise of Manchester United fans expecting victories and trophies and being back in the top level of football clubs in Europe. So hopefully that can happen. Uh, as always, if you guys have questions or want to communicate with me directly, please do so. Uh, hit me up on Instagram at Fergie Files Podcast or send me an email, Podcast at gmail.com, and we can chat about whatever you want to chat about. Um, and I'm happy to bring up any questions or comments that come in uh, from Instagram on the pod. Uh, happy to talk about anything you know this is obviously something I do for myself for fun but I also hope that if anyone does listen and they have questions uh, that they feel you know comfortable to reach out and start a dialogue and start a conversation so yeah hopefully that happens uh, as always thank you if anyone's listening uh, to this episode I very much appreciate it and I hope to hear from you soon. I will be trying to get out another podcast, at least one more before the end of 2021. No promises. Whole family's been sick lately. Uh, work is busy, et cetera, et cetera. So you never know. Uh, but hopefully I'll get one more out here before Christmas happens, um, uh, before the end of 2021. And otherwise, with that, it's always a pleasure. I'm Michael Folger. This is the Fergie Files Podcast, and we will see you on the next episode. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.